Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello and welcome to another video from Fantasy Football Scout. My name is David and today we are going to be looking at some of the worst FBL assets this season, which I appreciate is a little bit of a step change because normally when you come and watch one of our videos or listen to one of our podcasts, you would be expecting that we would perhaps be talking about players you should sign for your team. And obviously, we want to be getting the best ones. Well, now that the season's finished, the Game Week 38 deadline has passed, the Game Week 38 matches have passed, and there's just absolutely no more decisions left for you to make. It's time for us to be able to unleash uh, hellfire and fury on some of these assets that have caused us great frustration this season and have a look at what went wrong for some of these players. But at the same time, there's going to be some green shoots of hope potentially as well because these are players who underperformed this season probably largely because of price so we're sort of expecting some of these guys to cost a little bit less next season which might mean that with a few tweaks here and there they could be budget assets well budget assets well we'll see some assets that can offer some value for next season that's what that's what we could potentially uh, unearth here whilst also really zoning in on some of the the most painful experiences of the season those of you watching on youtube will be able to see of course we've got a nice picture of pep guardiola looking rather frustrated with his uh, number one goalkeeper edison there that is something that a lot of fantasy managers um, found themselves doing this season and it is with the goalkeepers uh, that we begin and we can't really uh, start anywhere else. When we talk about the worst goalkeepers this season, and from a fantasy perspective, we should say, you know, he's not had a bad season as an individual, uh, but as a fantasy asset, it's not been his finest season. Uh, all really for expensive goalkeepers in, in general, and, and Edison you know, is absolutely the poster boy for expensive goalkeepers really just not being worth the money anymore. The thing about expensive goalkeepers in FPL, as we all know, is you're usually going in there for lots of clean sheets. And not very many saves. That's the general dynamic that we, we've grown accustomed to. Because the teams, they keep lots of clean sheets, usually have a very good defence in front of them. They don't allow too many shots. It means we don't get too many saves. And it's always been uh, a bit of a, a struggle, this particular, um, this particular category of players. Because do you pay that extra money for the, the higher chance of clean sheets, but a lower chance of saves? Or do you go someone cheaper who's slightly less likely to keep the clean sheets, but could make up the gap with the saves and the bonus? Historically, we favoured the cheaper ones, but 
Edison in the past has been a nice 6 million, 5.5 million, something like that. 20 clean sheets a season. Well, just 11 for him in the 2022-23 season, which is just so far below what we're used to with him. And he was actually joint 15th among first-choice goalkeepers for points per match this season as well. So really not getting your money's worth here at all. And we discussed it quite a lot in a couple of the videos that I've done uh, on Sundays this season because uh, City play a lot of their games on Sundays uh, for sort of te- television reasons. It was very, very normal for me to just be inundated with people, just once again frustrated with Edison in a team that's actually quite good defensively. That's the strange thing here with, with Man City. They have... Um, always been a team that don't concede too many chances because they of course defend via possession they don't they don't give up lots of shots not because they can defend well in the traditional sense they're just very very good at holding on to the ball and then teams can't have shots because they just don't have the ball which sounds obvious but that's just how city do it and the problem is is that they aren't actually that good defensively in the traditional sense my opinion is if, if you had to put the Man City 11 just in their own defensive third for an entire 90-minute training match, attack versus defence, I think they would probably lose 3 or 4 nil because they're just not built that way. And so whenever chances did pop up, they quite often ended up in the back of the net. And that just continued to hamper Edison throughout the whole season, even though his stock as a fantasy asset was quite high for a long time because you look at the stats for City and they had uh, decent numbers, as we said before, perhaps a bit of an anomaly when it comes to those decent numbers compared to everybody else. But then he became really, really popular when we had the double game weeks because Pep Roulette is always an issue when it comes to double game weeks. Who is going to play twice? You probably want a City defender if they're going to play twice. But Edison was always the most likely player out of the defensive assets to play twice. So whether that's John Stones or Ake um, or Cancelo, once upon a time, back as far as, uh, sort of, I think it was, uh, I think technically it was February that he left, but it was a January uh, move, wasn't it? But um, yeah, so so Edison was, was chosen a lot. And we've got on the screen here, uh, his double game week uh, contributions uh, for the season. This is actually a screenshot that's taken from a scout article before the final match of Double Game Week 37. But yeah, Double Game Week 20, two points for Edison. Double Game Week 23, three points for Edison. Double Game Week 34, one point for Edison. No points in the first of his of his Double Game Week 37 match, as you can see on the screen as well. So it's just, you pay the extra money for this guy. You really need to be getting the investment in the Double Game Weeks, and it just didn't happen at all. And yeah, uh, very unfortunate. But as we said, uh, with some of these guys... They're guys that had a bad season. You would like to expect that maybe could hinder their prices for next season. And so, yeah, there's possibly a question here uh, over whether or not um, FBL maybe have some big decisions to make about Man City defenders, especially Edison, because he'd been six million for a while. And then I think that 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 dynamic we just talked about a few seconds ago about the more expensive goalkeepers. Um, tend to just get your clean sheets and not much else and then some 4.5 million or a 5 million goalkeeper two or three of those tend to usually eclipse them for points overall Um, had I think forced their hand because De Gea and Edison I think were both 5.5 at the start of the season now are we going to see Edison drop down to 5 million it's it would feel wrong for that to happen because City are still obviously the best team in the league because they just want it (laughs) and they do always have 
a good defence in terms of they don't give up many chances. So I think he's probably going to stay at 5.5. But if he came down to 5 million, I wouldn't be enormously shocked. And if that happens, then all of a sudden he's a little bit more um, potentially worthy of an investment perhaps. Let us know what you think in the comments. What price do you think Edison uh, should be next season? And before we continue, we've got some other players to go through. I just want to give a shout out to um, uh, Neil uh, or Sconto Rigger, as you might know him on site. Um, the most disappointing FPL team of 2022-23 uh, article is, is where I've taken a lot of this information from. And so if you would like to go and have a read of that with some even more um, great analysis of the numbers, uh, then uh, then head there. And we also have to give a big shout out to U.R. Cantona's Hot Topic on the site, which inspired the article, which inspired the video. <laughs> so I just want to make sure I give a shout out to you guys. Thank you very much for your contribution uh, to this rather informal look at some some really frustrating guys this season. Now, we couldn't talk about frustrating goalkeepers without talking about our honourable mention section. Danny Ward and Daniel Everson, eh? The two Dannys. I mean, wow. What, what a season we, we had with them. Well, half a season, I suppose. It's not very often that you end up with a situation where you can have two four million goalkeepers that play for the same team and you know one of them is going to start. And that meant that this combination was enormously popular at the start of the season. And on paper, on paper it should have worked. And there was a brief spell where it did work. But the reason why you know these guys are absolutely in the flops or the most disappointing uh, team of the season, however you want to describe it, it's because it only started working once people started to move away from it. So um, uh, Leicester's uh, clean sheet against Newcastle uh, in game week 37 was their first clean sheet since, I think, game week 16. It was a very long time they went without uh, a clean sheet. They just had an awful season defensively, and that's why they've been relegated. They had six clean sheets between game weeks 9 and 16 um, and had none between game weeks 1 to 8. And so... In those eight game weeks, we had the Ward and the Everson combination and most people were so frustrated with it that they wildcarded around game week seven or eight and got rid of either both of them or just kept Ward uh, because he was the one who was clearly the first choice of the two and then switched to maybe Nick Pope uh, or one of the other goalkeepers. And so Ward then became their substitute because he was a 3.94 million goalkeeper. And then that's when they started keeping clean sheets. I was actually very fortunate because I held on to them both on my wildcard because I think I wildcarded maybe game week nine or something and there would have been mild defensive improvements. So I got a little bit lucky there. But yes, for the most part, they trolled people very, very heavily. Um, and what I've also got on the screen actually is one of my other favorite stats uh, for goalkeepers is XG prevented. So we, we're getting into some real nerdy levels of analysis here. And this is an extract from the Fantasy Football Scout members area. If you're not already a member, make sure you consider that for the new season. It will make a big, big difference uh, on your overall rank at the end of the season. I can, I can promise you that. But yeah, XG prevented, what does it mean? So it is the score of the um, shots that a goalkeeper faces uh, versus how many goals they actually conceded. And so it's effectively telling you uh, who had a bad season as a goalkeeper. If you've got an XG prevented that is um, very low, so it's a very big negative figure, then it means that you conceded way more goals than you should have done as a goalkeeper. And if you've got a very big positive number, so like a plus you know, 6.7, that's... You've, you've faced a lot of high XG shots and you've managed to still save them because you're a good goalkeeper. So historically, Nick Pope's done well on this metric. Um, Dean Henderson did a couple of years ago as well. And that's quite useful. This is a nice little tip here for next season. If you're trying to identify a budget goalkeeper who is likely to 
be in a team that gives up lots of shots but still keeps some clean sheets and gets lots of bonus because the goalkeepers that can make fantastic saves and stop certain goals in teams that concede lots of shots, that can be the difference that turns them into clean sheets and bonus. And so Nick Pope, has, as I said, has done well on the, in this past when he was playing at Burnley. That's the perfect team to aim for. So if you're ever sometime into the start of next season, four or five games in, looking for that goalkeeper, you can help you capitalise. Use this particular table in the members area. But what it illustrates for this season is just some of the, the really awful goalkeepers that we had. So Danny Ward is the third worst goalkeeper in terms of individual performance, according to XG Prevented, uh, about minus nine goals uh, more than he should have conceded nine more goals than he should have done but the reason i bring this up is because the absolute worst was uh gavin bazunu who i don't really think any of you ever had at any point but i just i don't think i've ever seen a stat like this um he managed to concede over 20 more goals uh than opta deemed he should have done based on the quality of shots he faced and that is absolutely why southampton got relegated but yeah i that's a a little nerdy moment there for me to uh to enjoy from one of my favorite uh underappreciated stats xg prevented you heard it here first so who else can we talk about? We're going to move into defence now. And we can't, we just can't talk about, you know, flop defenders this season without talking about Ivan Perisic. Oh, another very, very frustrating um, asset this season who who didn't actually do that badly. But it's just a bit like the Ward-Everson combination. It only did well when you weren't invested. And when you were, it didn't because he just became unbelievably unpredictable and so he only actually got ended up with 2.8 points per match this season um but when he did play he did well but you just didn't know um when he was going to start or when he was going to come on so um he had 11 substitute appearances i think it was in total this season and so out of all defenders only five uh, featured more as a sub than him and so he was never able to actually capitalize on clean sheets when they actually happened which admittedly was rare for spurs um and then when he was on the pitch he was he was he was useful of course but sometimes he didn't start either and and actually in the end um ryan mason didn't really uh, play him in a position that was going to really help him so he he wasn't really an option in the second half of the season he was very much an exciting one at the start of the season he had some great numbers but you just never know you just never knew uh when they were going to be when they were going to be coming so yeah very very frustrating um and a very similar um asset in that regard probably these two so reese james and um yeah ben chilwell now interestingly here on on reese james um that he has he had one of the worst um points per start average uh of any fpl defender priced above five million so that's that's largely what we're describing uh as a as verging into what is a premium asset. I mean, premium is probably 5.5, but, you know, in that general bracket of spending more than your your usual 4.5, just three points per start. And so clearly it's not just about the unpredictability of when he was going to play because we had a bit of Tuchel uh, rotation at the start of the season, of course. Uh, It was the fact that when he was on the pitch, it wasn't necessarily uh, always doing the business. And to be fair, it hasn't exactly been a very good season for Chelsea, as we all know. I don't really need to go into the specifics of why on that one. You all all know, all very aware of how bad that Chelsea season was that we've just had. But what the impact was on on Rhys James was that he wasn't always playing in a wing-back role, which is, of course, where he he, he is uh, always better utilised. And he sometimes even played as the the right-hand side of a back three. So, yeah, that didn't didn't really help him at all. Um, 
And yeah, the, the thing about him, I've always said this, he's very boom and bust. And I remember actually even saying this right at the start of the season, he was actually quite popular at the beginning. And I had been stung by him enough times to know that he will maybe have like an 18-point haul and then have three or four blanks in a row and then a 15-point haul. Well, uh, his season was was boom and bust in the sense that it boomed and then it busted and then it stayed busted because half of his season total arrived in the first four game weeks and 10 of his 14 starts resulted in blanks. Injury, of course, has has been a factor here as well, which 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 hasn't been nice. I mean, the thing is, he is a fantastic player. If you've ever had the chance to watch this guy live, he's he's incredible. He's capable of playing in midfield as well. Did that very capably in uh, in the football league as well. So he is a fantastic player. Has he been very frustrating as a fantasy asset? Uh, continually so for a long time. He absolutely has. So unfortunately, uh, he does uh, make this list. Now, this one pains me to put in because I'm a big, big fan of Andrew Robertson. And uh, I've always been a fan of attacking fullbacks in FPL. I mean, I think we all have really. But Robertson... <laughs> I mean, there were, he had some golden years as a must-own. And it's it's easy to forget sometimes because uh, Robertson and Trent had have become a bit of a, an iconic duo uh, in fantasy football over the sort of past four or five years. But Robertson kind of broke onto the scene before Trent did. I remember having him um, several months before Trent was it, we'd even heard of him. Before Joe's famous line on, on the Scoutcast where he, he, he just assumed, I think, that Trent Alexander-Arnold just sounded like some random fake name regen guy from Football Manager. You know, who's this guy? You know, And then, of course, Trent ended up eclipsing him. But for long periods, Andrew Robertson has been FPL royalty. But unfortunately, this season, uh, it wasn't meant to be, uh, really. And it's been a while since we've been able to really justify spending money on him. He started at £7 million, which probably was fair uh, based on what we knew of Liverpool at the start of the season. But... As we know, as the season wound on, that clearly was a price that we weren't, you know, able to pay some um, some big names or other not so big names, uh, not household names, shall we say, ahead of him for points per match this season include Ben Mee, Tyrone Ming. So, you know, value was was never really uh, helpful here. And the thing is, Liverpool's clean sheets weren't great this season. We know that anyway. But even when they did keep them, it, Robertson actually. This is the first season where he hasn't actually been nailed on as much. And so he kept kind of avoiding them. Uh, so Liverpool actually kept out, um, uh, they, they kept a, a shutout sorry, in, in five of the six games uh, in which he was on the subs bench and therefore not able to uh, capitalise. And Shimakas has, has started to... Um, start to actually get involved now there was a time when Shimakas was there and Robertson just played every week but yeah uh, it's it's been harder to predict when Robbo's going to play across the course of a season we can usually work it out we could have usually work it out one week to the next but either way the point was he wasn't getting consistent starts that wasn't very helpful but the most interesting thing and this is something to keep an eye on for next season is what happened to him as a result of Trent Alexander-Arnold's shift into a new role. Now, it's fairly well documented at this point. So I'd like to think that if you're listening to this podcast or you're watching this as a video, then you will know very much about the fact that Trent has shifted into this central midfield role. And so Liverpool now play this kind of 3-2-2-3 lineup uh, that, that pushes Trent into a position where he is less likely to risk the team's general defensive structure by going on forward runs. Because in the past, he'd played arguably a wing-back role in what was technically a 4-3-3, a back four, and would sometimes leave a massive gap uh, at the back for people to, to get into. By shifting him into midfield and then shunting the back four into a back three so that there is slightly more cover for that 
right back area should Trent um, push himself a little bit more forward has helped Liverpool improve we can't deny that so it has it has looked good but what it, it hasn't hasn't happened symmetrically in terms of the the fullbacks as we know them traditionally so whilst Trent has stepped into midfield uh, Robertson hasn't done that uh, and has been hampered you could say by having to act as uh, a hybrid center back left back in that system and so what we can see on the screen right now is some um touch maps um for oh sorry that's the that's the passes received this 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 is the touch maps this is the touch maps of the two players um between game weeks 30 and 38 which largely captures that period where Trent was playing in that more advanced role and what you can see for the touch maps is that Trent's touches are just <laughs> absolutely everywhere he does actually still have quite a lot of touches in that right back area but there is just an absolute swamp of uh, of of heat bleeding over into the middle of the park and and, and even lots of touches in the penalty box now what i find really interesting about this is that um Traditionally, uh, Trent and Robbo, I've obviously just described them as, you know, they're both fullbacks, but they were very asymmetrical in the way that they put balls into the box. The thing about Trent was that he would sort of take up almost a wide De Bruyne position. So he wasn't, um, he was, he would cross from deep is, is, is what I mean to say. And, you know, so that sort of that space between the halfway line and the edge of the box on the flank, that's where he would cross from and the ball would sort of loop in. Robertson was very, very good at snaking all the way along the the, the byline uh, on the left-hand side and then cutting into the box and making penalty box entries um, right as he hit the dead ball line and then pulling it back. That was traditionally where we saw those um, how those two players operate. And what you can see here is that Trent's new role has... Um, allowed him to actually make more penalty box entries than, than Robertson, which is not something that we're very used to. And so it just means this whole system, and I'll just put on the screen the passes received as well, so you can see where those players are when they receive the ball. It's very much a similar story, but what you'll notice is that actually there's a massive gap. Uh, there's almost a huge chunk missing from Trent's heat map, whereby he isn't receiving the ball in a right-back position uh, at all, which you know we kind of know because we've been watching the games and we can see where he's been operating from. Uh, but yeah, uh, but Robertson very much is just pretty much isolated to left back and left wing, so he's still pushing forward. And he and we should say he's got a very good engine on him. He he was always much better at tracking back anyway. So the system sort of is catering. It, it is asymmetrical in some respects because it is catering towards the fact that Robertson um, was very very good at making penalty box entries down the left and then pegging it back to to sort things out. Trent would cross from deep but wasn't so good at covering back. But yeah, it's just it just has meant that Robertson hasn't been able to break into the box as much as he was before. So that has has made him an even even worse option. I think will be interesting this season is just seeing next season. I should say is just seeing how big a gap we get between Trent and Robertson's price because you could we could actually justify to be honest maybe an even a one million uh, uh, a gap between the two players. So it'd be very interesting to see. But unfortunately, it does mean uh, that Robbo is going to have to count as a flop this season. As much as it pains me to say, it, I'm a big big fan. I think FBL aside, just talking about football, I think he is. I think he's one of the best fullbacks uh, we've seen in recent years. I'm a big, big fan. But yeah, sorry, Robbo. We'll have to consign you to the flops list. Now, a couple of other honourable mentions. This one feels like a weird one to include, but I, I, I understand why we have to talk about him. Cancelo, he was, he, I mean, he was just on auto include every week. And then just all of a sudden, bang like that, he's gone. 
uh, which is very kind of very annoying. I, I, I guess he counts as a flop because he was very, very useful and then all of a sudden just immediately disappeared in a way that was just felt very strange. And it'd be interesting to see what happens with him um, next season. And uh, yeah, with a little bit of help from, from Neil's article and uh, Uar Cantona's hot topic, um, we can also include, I think, here, Joel Matip and uh, Laporte, who last season were quite useful uh, centre-back options uh, at their respective clubs, but they very much lost their place uh, this season after attracting a little bit of uh, fantasy ownership at the, the, uh, the start of the season. Uh, and those they're at the big clubs the the really budget options that really got talked about at the start of the season Nathan Patterson uh, and Neko Williams were the big uh, four million defenders and unfortunately there was no repeat of the old uh, that man there behind me John Lundstrom we haven't had him in a while and I think we Liveramento sort of got half a season of it uh, the year before the four millions this year were very much flops because yeah, Patterson had his injuries, Everton conceded lots of goals, and yeah, Forrest, wow, they conceded an absolute shed load of them. So unfortunately, not too many 4 million options this year. Let's move into midfield now, uh, and let's talk about a man who has a lot of fantasy pedigree, but has not had a very good season, and that is uh, Raheem Sterling. Ended up missing out on the England squad as well in the end, um, and you know, he he'd kind of he his price had been steadily going down. Uh, it was his cheapest FPL starting price since 2017 18, uh, and in the end, um, he, he he basically just he, he only just crept into having a hundred points this season because he got an assist on the final day of the season, um, despite actually starting or at least appearing 27 times to trust, which is actually quite a lot. His points tally looks like someone who hasn't played that much, but actually he played quite a lot, and um, yeah, he. He just has kind of gone missing. But should we be too surprised? Not really. You know, Chelsea have had a very, very bad season. Um, and, you know, it's not just down to him. But it just means that um, of what we've got on the screen right now is we've got the top five most expensive midfielders in the game this year, um, which were Salah, De Bruyne, Bruno Fernandes, Raheem Sterling and Son Heung-min. And yeah, just four points per start for Sterling in the end, which is is not really enough to justify uh, his his price. And uh, yeah, 101 points is one of his lowest tallies in a very, very long time. Now, big summer coming up for Chelsea. We know that anyway. Uh, Pochettino coming in could potentially give them enough direction to um, reboot, kickstart some of these players. And uh, Sterling is someone I... I have my eye on, not necessarily because I want him in my squad for game week one, uh, but more along the lines of he should have a very, very big uh, points drop. And Neil, in the uh, the article on Fantasy Football Scout, which, which, as I said, absolutely go and read, uh, makes a very good comparison uh, with uh, Marcus Rashford, who he, he shot up in price and then had a poor season, and um, this season was, was, was much cheaper. Uh, I think he started the season at 7 or 7.5, something like that. Either way, a very justifiable price. Um, did very, very well. Um, was captained uh, a lot this season. And yeah, was just was just he's probably going to make the team of the season among midfielders, I would imagine, for uh, FPL uh, points. Well, not necessarily points, but just value. It's very subjective. Make sure you get to the website to Fantasy Football Scout to vote on that, because that is coming up. He's gonna, he should make that team of the season. So... A lot of that's to do with price. So if Sterling comes down to that level, maybe, just maybe, next season. Now, someone else who maybe could benefit in the same regard could be Son. He has had his, uh, I I think he was 11.5 at the start of the season. Uh, Oh, no, sorry, actually, I think it was 12 million, but I think he dropped to 11.5 in the end. It's his lowest points tally this season since 2015-16. 
Um, and again, it's a bit like Chelsea. Spurs have had an absolutely awful campaign. Um, so maybe with a bit of direction in the new season and maybe with Harry Kane potentially leaving, does Son get the penalties? Maybe. But at the same time, if Harry Kane does leave, does that make Son a general worst asset in open play? Potentially. I'm not sure. But yeah, just 3.8 per, 3.8 points per start for Son uh, this season, which when you're paying, you know, double figures for a guy is uh, is, is really not all that great. But there are some green shoots again. So, um, talked about some of these guys already. This is what's happened to Son recently with Ryan Mason in charge. Now, is he going to be in charge next season? Probably not. But could he still be on the staff? Possibly, because this has happened before. He has interim managed this team before. So he's he's of a sufficient he's he has doesn't have sufficient stock to be a big name that they they need to boot away if they if they bring in a full-time manager who isn't him so you know that input could still be there so i think we can we we, we don't quite take this data with a pinch of salt but we certainly um we at the same time we, we don't like you know treat it like gospel something halfway between gospel and salt whatever the middle of that gap is we can just about Take some green shoots of hope, I think, from what happened with Ryan Mason. He was uh, playing more advanced um, in the last um, last five, six games of the season. And so the, the stat that is particularly telling uh, is that under Conte this season, Son had, he was afforded seven big chances in 28 appearances. But under Ryan Mason, he ended up with six big chances in five games. And that's accurate up until uh, Sunday. I haven't had the chance to factor in uh, Sunday's data into that particular stat, but what I have managed to factor Sunday's data into is these XG shot maps, which I've got on the screen right now, which I will describe for the podcast listeners. Now, XG shot maps are one of my favourite things from the Fantasy Football Fantasy Football Scout members area. Already talked about XG prevented. XG shots, I'm a big fan. So, what it does is it identifies every single shot that a player has made in the period you've chosen. And so, on the left-hand side, I've got Son, game weeks 1 to 32. And on the right-hand side, I've got Son, game weeks 33 to 38. And each shot is a different size because it's relative to what the XG is for that shot. So if you've had a shot that's got very low XG, it's going to be a very, very tiny bubble. And if you've got a shot that's very high XG, it's going to have a much bigger bubble. Um, it's, if it's on target, uh, then it's green. Uh, if it is, uh, sorry, If it's a goal, it's green. And if it's not a goal, it's blue. So that helps you understand where they're all coming from and what we can see is and it's sort of subjective here because you sort of have to describe the pattern of the bubbles <laughs> um but yeah so on the left hand side the son uh xg shots from game weeks one to 32 so that's, that's you know all of the conte rain and a little bit after as well uh, you can see there's a, a massive smattering of very small circles outside the box and then there's um a bit of a smattering of small ones in the box as well with a couple of something I would describe halfway between small and medium in the box between the edge of the six-yard box and the edge of the box itself. Now, the right-hand side, there is fewer shots because it is obviously a shorter period, but the key here is we've just got a higher concentration of the bigger bigger bubbles. And, you know, you can see that they're all much closer to goal. You can see that they're, on average, of a bigger size. And so, effectively, the long story short is, without the nerdy level of it all, is that towards the end of the season son was able to get much closer to goal he was able to have more shots of a higher quality in that area and hardly anything outside the box you know he wasn't you know just having pops on the edge of the box in fact i make it just 
two outside the box and one that's kind of on the line uh, of the box. Whereas, yeah, a good, I would say, half of Son's shots before that point were, were chances from the edge of the area. So if either the new manager has noticed that or if Ryan Mason becomes the new manager or if the new manager keeps Ryan Mason on the staff and he tells that manager, you know what, probably need to get Son uh, in this area, then maybe... Maybe his drop in price, which is definitely going to happen, it's probably going to be significant. Maybe Son next season. It could be be time for him again. A couple of honourable mentions then. Um, I have to start with Pedro Neto and Leon Bailey. Now, it feels like a long time since we've mentioned those guys on these streams, but do you remember in the year of our Lord, 2022, in that famed summer when Pedro Neto and Leon Bailey were both just absolutely nailed on players in everybody's teams uh, because I think they had pretty good preseason they were both five million you know they're potentially underpriced uh i ended up yeah, i ended up with both of them and oh well neto especially i mean he's had a bad he's had a bad season for injuries but um yeah he i i feel very bad because I, I i tipped him for a lot of people and, and and he didn't do very well in the end um and leon bailey i mean wow he dropped down to 4.3 in the end and didn't have a very good start of the season. He actually did much better uh, towards the end of the season. So it was nine attacking returns. which was actually pretty good for a five million midfielder. But either way, you know, at the start of the season, it just wasn't working. And of course, Stephen Gerrard was the manager. And there was, a, there was that one game week where he talked him up and then he didn't start. It was very, very frustrating. Very frustrating. Um, Anthony as well had some good stats throughout all of the season. Uh, started fairly well. Looked quite good. Big for the X vibes, you could say. Um, but yeah, his shot to goal conversion rate this season was just 5.6% and 19 blanks uh, in uh, 21 appearances uh, after his first three starts. So yeah, he very much flatters to deceive. He needs to do some shooting practice over the summer or we're going to be in a situation uh, whereby he's just going to not have a very good season again. And um, one player I should, uh, I might just go back to the Son page so you can uh, so you can see it because um, his teammate Kuliszewski um, it hadn't, hadn't done particularly well. Um, but basically, um, he had a points per start average of 3.6, which was the worst of any midfielder priced at 7.5 million and below. He came in, I think, at 6 million last season and was one of these players who did really, really well. Great value. But that Hoykin price and then him uh, just having a bad season meant that he was a bit of a flop, uh, to be honest. So we finished then with the forwards. And we can't start anywhere else than the old Darwin Nunez. Um, yeah, not some great stats here. So uh, he came in at the start of the season amid much uh, clamour um, for him to be in people's teams. And um, I want to say talked about in the same sentence, not necessarily breath, as Erling Haaland. But yes, in the end, 167 points and 27 league goals separated the two. And... An excellent point in this article on Scout is that the uh, his season peaked with his um, his doing very well in the Community Shield and then getting nine points in game week one, but of course then with the red card, pretty much as uh, I, I've, I think I even remember Johnny taking a hit for like, like game week two only for him to get sent off. I mean it really was just utter chaos, and of course that is, has been his nickname. He is the Chaos Machine. He was always afforded a lot of shots, but he just couldn't convert them. He, he, he was not necessarily always off target. He just couldn't convert them. So his big chance conversion rate of just over 25% 
was the 36th best among FPL forwards. And his underachievement compared to his XG, which we can just see on the screen here, is minus 3.16. So he was in the top 10 worst strikers um, for uh, not being able to put chances away. And uh, yeah, he, and then eventually he just couldn't actually quite nail down a starting spot either. So um, he very, very quickly uh, became a bit of a flop. But the key to why these guys are sometimes flops is because there was a lot of excitement about him and there were people taking um, risks and punts on him to start with. Then he started well enough with those matches we mentioned that people were like, it's just coming, it's coming, it's coming. I'm going to hold him, I'm going to hold him, I'm going to hold him. And it just never quite materialized. Probably going to be a price drop for him. Um, you know, Firmino's leaving. Do you think he's going to start more? I don't know. Let us know what you think uh, Darwin's second season is going to look like. Let us know in the comments. Um, unfortunately, uh, his points per average uh, this season was the same as Shea Adams. So, fine company there. Now, Kai Havertz, he is used to this probably. Uh, again, he's a player that I do actually like. You have to sometimes extract your football brain from your FPL things. Because I do like what he brings to a team. I think he looks good when he's on the ball and he can finish well. Like I've seen him do that. And it just depends what type of system you're playing. He's as a false nine. Um, I personally quite enjoy watching him, but does that translate into FPL points? No. Uh, has anybody recovered from game week nine last season when uh, we were captain him and Salah went nuclear? Uh, absolutely not. Um, he very much suffers from the same thing that all the other Chelsea players do. So, again, we're not trying to be harsh here. They've just generally had a bad season. You never knew when he was going to start. When he did start, that team just wasn't built to put chances away, to be honest. And so, um, yeah. And, and him switching to a forward didn't help either, actually. Because, of course, that's just less points across the board. And so, yeah, that, that really has nerfed him, unfortunately. We will have to see for next season what will happen with him. Um we have to talk about Jamie Vardy as well. Um, he's also on this list, so we'll just we'll just lean into uh, very much the, the the XG delta to sort of round off this list for some of the honourable mentions. Because yeah, the, the the five worst players in the Premier League for XG uh, delta, so that means it's a bit like actually prevented. So if you've got a negative figure for, for a forward, this is if you're having shots, then it means that you scored fewer goals than you should have done based on the quality of the chances you, that you had. And Vardy was the fourth worst um, this season, minus 3.72. And yeah, the thing is he did actually still play a fair bit this season. He didn't play as much as he did before, um, but it wasn't like he was, it was hardly around. And uh, yeah, unfortunately uh, it might just be that the, uh, the clock has been ticking on his career and he's uh, just been unable to sustain the level of output that he'd done uh, up until now. Bit of a shame because he is a fantasy. He will always go down as a fantasy legend. He was, he was a, a budget success when they, when they won the league and then spent a good number of years being a sort of low premium priced lower premium price like a nine million forward that could always shake up a template and uh, get big hauls but yes unfortunately does look as if his his time in fpl is going to be over leicester been relegated will he get a move to a premier league team's hard to say he's very committed to leicester um he might have uh felt this season that perhaps the premier league is is now a speed that's too quickly for, too quick for him and might potentially fancy uh, a year or two in the championship just to round things off so yeah, unfortunately, may have to wave farewell to a bit of a fantasy legend there. Uh, but we also have to talk about uh, Calvert-Lewin and Bamford as well, uh, players who kind of get uh, talked about here, to be honest, because of uh, injury, but also a bit of um, um, just lack of accuracy in front of goals. So they actually round off uh, the the top three. So Havertz is the second worst for XG uh, Delta uh, this season. 
minus 4.6 for him. But yeah, so Bamford uh, with the worst of minus 4.61. And then Calvert-Lewin minus 3.84. So didn't put away, away as many chances as they should have done. Didn't play as often as they should have done because they got injured, which is, uh, you know, of course, very unfortunate. But they're two players who uh, last season were, were very much in the conversation for your um, your mid-price forwards. Um, and, you know, very few of us will forget that, that fantastic first season that Leeds had when Bamford became a bit of an essential asset. And, of course, um, Calvert-Lewin stayed up. So he'll be around next season, but we need to see a bit more fitness from him. And we really need to see Everton kick on and, and really build for the future after a bad couple of years. And yeah, Leeds relegated to the Premier League uh, again, uh, relegated to the Championship, I should say, uh, again for the first time. Well, the first relegation in the Premier League actually for a long time. But, you know, they're back in back in the uh, the Championship after three Premier League seasons. And it'd be interesting to see what happens with Bamford. Um, it'd be nice to see him get fit and maybe sign for another team. We know he's got it in him because we've seen it before. But yeah, unfortunately, it wasn't meant to be this season. and Probably a bit too expensive, even if he had been putting his chances away. So yes, that rounds off uh, the list of uh, the uh, flops for this season. 